when you don't have a lot of money and you've got absolutely no guarantee and you've got a hundred caps right. in your parents uh, in, <laughs> in your bedroom at your parents' house and you're going right. You know, I have to sell these things to to not look like a complete muppet. Um, it is definitely uh, yeah, it's definitely like a sort of you know sink or swim kind of moment. What's up and welcome to Start Yours. My name is David Vranikar with Oberlo and today we are talking about how to sell trash. Okay, not trash trash, more like trash in the sense of that old saying, what's one man's trash is another man's treasure. That is definitely the case for today's guest, Adrian Taylor. Adrian joined us from his home in New Zealand where he runs a hat business called Offcut and Offcut uses discarded materials to create really, really cool hats. Adrian walks us through how he first conceived of Offcut how he launched the business with very limited resources and absolutely no knowledge of hats, clothing, or anything else that would suggest that this guy was on the cusp of launching his very own fashion line. We hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you do enjoy it, do yourself and me a big favor and go ahead and subscribe. All right, here is Adrian Taylor of Offcut. So the, uh, the light bulb moment that led to, to your business occurred, of all places, in your dad's curtain warehouse. Tell us, tell us about that. Yeah, I was um, a few years ago now, 2015, I think it was, and uh, I went to dad's um, curtain warehouse. My father used to um, own and run a, a curtain wholesale business here in, in Christchurch in New Zealand. Um, and I've been there, you know, hundreds of times um, throughout my life. And I can't actually even remember why I went there on this particular occasion, but was there to see dad, I guess, and walked past um, at some point in, in my time there, walked past this room full of bits of fabric. Um, and I sort of just looked in there and passing and sort of said to dad, I said, well, what's this in here? And he goes, oh, that's all the kind of scraps and the end of lines and the sample curtain fabrics that, you know, we, we can't use anymore. Um, and I sort of had a quick look through all these fabrics and there were lots of floral prints and I don't know, these really, really cool patterns, stuff that I personally would never put on my, you know, on my windows uh, in my house. But I sort of looked at these fabrics and thought, these are pretty cool. And um, yeah, and I sort of said to dad, so you, what, you just kind of throw these out? And he goes, yeah, we have to sort of pay someone a couple of times a year to pick them up and, and basically dump them to landfill. We try and sell some of them, but most of it just ends up in landfill. Um, and I go, well, you know, can I do something with these? Can I buy them off your dad and, and, and you know, do something with them? And he goes, oh, you can't buy them, but you can have them for free. I say, okay, even better, fantastic. And that was kind of the, yeah, the light bulb moment, I guess, where I sort of thought, well, what do I do with these uh, floral prints, these super epic, <laughs> really heavy duty curtain fabrics? Um, and, and it all kind of all kind of went from there. So you were you were a journalist at the time, so it's not like you were, you know, necessarily an obvious candidate to to launch a clothing line. Where did this where did the business spark come from? Had you had this entrepreneurial itch before, or was it kind of something that just dawned on you? Yeah, big time. I'd actually just finished up being a journalist like earlier that year, and I'd, I'd, I'd left my, my job in journalism uh, because I knew that I wanted to get into entrepreneurship, and I didn't know what sort of uh, shape or flavor that would, would uh, take, but I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Um, I guess, you know, in journalism, you're constantly uh, meeting interesting people, interviewing interesting people, and, and, um, and and some of the most interesting people I met were, were business people because I, I just always have always loved business. And since high school, I've always tried to, you know, whether it was uh, I remember when I was 16 with my mate at the time, we, we tried to buy, um, you know, MacBook Pros and bring them into New Zealand and flip them for, you know, a few <laughs> a few measly hundred dollars, uh, you know, margin profit uh, and, and that kind of thing. So we're always, you know, always keen to, to, to do things like that. Uh, so, you know, as 
2015, I was, I was 25 at the time. I'd been working in journalism um, for, for one of New Zealand's two uh, TV networks for, for about four years and kind of said, all right, well, now's the time to, to do it. If you don't kind of throw yourself at it, you know, it'll be, I'll be 35 by the time I kind of go, oh, I really should have given it a go. Um, so I'd been bouncing around with a few ideas, had actually another little startup that, that failed. It was like a furniture, uh, online furniture marketplace, a long story, uh, when, yeah, that kind, of, that kind of moment happened where I was at dad's, um, uh, dad's uh, factory, uh, dad's uh, warehouse, and thought, um, yeah, well, maybe I can do something with all this uh, this fabric. Did the uh, did what was going on in the journalism industry kind of dictate that you were going to want to get out of it? Because I, I have a lot of experience with journalism myself, and it actually preceded me being an overload. So I, I know all about the woes that are the uh, you know the, the journalism job landscape. Did, did that kind of give you a little bit of incentive to get out? Yeah, for sure. I mean, journalism's not easy it's not an easy career at the moment and um you know and i have a tremendous amount of respect for journalism and, and think it's incredibly important sure. and 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 uh, have a lot of friends who are still in the industry but um yeah there was a lot of funding cuts and all that kind of stuff that were going on when i was there and and i kind of thought i don't want to be part of a sunset industry potentially uh, yeah. a terrible thing to say so i thought you know well what can i kind of do to ensure that i'm yeah not um kind of one of these people that's always on the the verge of the chopping block um in the next sure. round of redundancy so that definitely was uh, was an incentive to kind of to kind of move on. But as you say, I mean, I was the least qualified person in the world um, to start a, <laughs> a fashion brand. I have um, zero, you know, fashion degrees, zero experience in fashion. Um, as you can see, David, obviously we won't be able to, thankfully, we won't be able to see because um, this is just an audio podcast. But I'm, I'm by no means a very fashionable guy. Um, so yeah, no, it's it's funny that I kind of went down this uh, this road after this this epiphany at, at the warehouse. House, you did a bunch of research about fabric offcuts and you realized, you know, first off, that this wasn't something unique uh, to your dad's curtain operation, that this was kind of, you know, in, in a, across lots of industries, there was, there was a lot of, you know, wasted, uh, wasted offcut stuff. And then also that your dad and presumably other businesses as well actually paid for these materials to be disposed of. So this meant that you had uh, a bunch of free materials um, and, and free materials that people would be happy for you to, to take off their hands. What you didn't have though, as you just mentioned, was, was a background in fashion. And so how did you go about um, devising a plan about what you would create with this you know, bounty of, of materials that you just discovered? Yeah, 100%, you've absolutely nailed it. So after that sort of uh, encounter at my dad's place, um, I, I sort of did a bit of research and was just blown away by the figures that I was reading, you know, up, up to 20% of all fabric in, in, in the garment industry is thrown away as offcuts. Um, so every time that they cut out that shirt that you're wearing, the t-shirt that you're wearing, whatever your favorite, uh, I don't know, um, Guns N' Roses t-shirt or, or whatever it is, 20% um, of that fabric, up to 20% of that fabric gets gets thrown away because it's just the, the, the offcuts, obviously the bits that are too small. Um, and so when I, as I was reading this, I kind of thought, okay, well, how can I actually use these offcuts in a, in a meaningful way? Um, and, and what are the kind of, um, I guess, the design um, constraints that I've got in using offcuts? And, and, and from there, I thought, okay, well, I have, to, I have to make something that uses small pieces of fabric. You know, if you've got a couple of T-shirts laid out on a big fabric, you know, uh, machine that's been cut out and you can picture roughly what the size of, a, of, of an offcut might be. So, okay, well, what could, you know, what kind of product could I make using small bits of offcuts of fabric? And and I kind of thought, I think I think I told you the idea of bow ties, uh, which is obviously a, an interesting niche. Um, uh -huh. uh, but, and then I thought, well, well, caps are small. 
it had to take a few boxes for me because I didn't have any experience in fashion and, and I knew that uh, I wanted it to be basically online only. I, d- I didn't really want to get into the route of, of wholesale and all that kind of stuff. So I thought I want to sell a product that someone can buy online and know exactly what they're getting and, and also not have like uh, sizing issues, um, you know, gender, like male, female issues. I wanted something that was unisex, um, no sizing issues um, and something that's that everyone knows. You know, when you buy a cap, you, you know that it's, you know what a cap is, you know, so there's no, there's no, right. there's no issues when you get it and something that fits the bill to be, you know, able to be made from these small bits of fabric, these offcuts. Um, and then, yeah, caps kind of um, uh, sort of came to my mind and, and all went from there. And before that point, I never even really wore caps, to be honest. I, I, I maybe had one or, <laughs> one or two lying around that I'd wear from time to time. But um, uh, but that that was that. And then I just did what every, every entrepreneur probably starts with, a couple of Google searches, you know, cap manufacturer in New Zealand. Um, yeah, we're a small country, so there wasn't too many options. You know, maybe had to contact two or three potential leads, and eventually one of them said, "Yep, you can get your samples made here." Got um, I don't know, maybe a hundred samples made. You know, scraped together some cash with my mate, uh, my friend at the time, and and um, got some uh, yeah, got about a hundred samples made, and and um, arrived at my doorstep, and sort of all went from there, and and you know, got some photos, and and then thought, all right, now I need to start selling these things. You said you you scraped together some. Cash. Cash. And I wanted to ask you about the this initial investment that you made. And we, we don't need, you know, an exact dollar figure if you don't want to give it, that's fine. But I think spending any amount of money on something where there's no guaranteed returns, uh, that can be a freaky experience. I mean, like the first time that I launched ads for my drop shipping store, like that 20 bucks on these Facebook ads, like that, that was a, a white knuckle experience for me. So I know things can get they can get real once it goes from cool idea to research to like Oh wait, now now I need to pull out my wallet. What was what was that like once you started putting money on the line? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I, I didn't have a lot of money at all at the time. I just finished, you know, journalism, a, a pretty poorly paid job. I was back living with my parents um, when I, when all this started because I pretty much couldn't really afford anything else. Um, and it was it was Matt, who's still a really good friend, but he was the co-founder at, at the time, and you know, since um, sort of bought his share out. But uh, we we kind of got together and and we were discussing all this. And I think in the end, I think I've got no problem telling you the figures. I think in the end we probably put in about one to two thousand New Zealand dollars each so that's 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 probably 800 to sort of 1500 US um, you know uh, dollars uh, in each so, so by no means a, a large sum of money but but like you say when you when you don't have a lot of money and you've got absolutely no guarantee and you've got a hundred caps right. in your parents uh, in, <laughs> in your bedroom at your parents house and you're going right you know I have to sell these things to, to not look like a complete Muppet um, it is definitely uh, yeah it's definitely like a sort of you know sink or swim kind of moment but you have to you just have to do it you have to do it you you can't you're never going to work out whether they're going to sell by uh you know uh thinking about it and not doing right. it you just have to you just go have to you know like you say pull out your wallet and, and and put your money where your mouth is and, and give it a go and and what i found is that you know your immediate um, friends and family who are generally going to be your, your first supporters are so supportive um, and you know we were having barbecues this is all around Christmas time and we'd have barbecues at my parents house and um, friends and family would, would turn up and they'd all leave with a, a cap that they bought off me so uh, yeah you, you, you certainly just need to get, get out there and, and, and start hustling. So mom and dad were cool with you becoming a cap entrepreneur even while you were? <laughs> yeah I think they were a bit confused but they're, kind of, <laughs> they're 
I've kind of learned over the years not to question too much what I what I do um, because they yeah. can't they can't really keep up. But um, no, that's fully supportive. So no, I was very very lucky. Yeah. The money, so the money you invested it was earmarked for for manufacturing the hats and not for for marketing the hats. And the, the marketing side of things is where you you might have to you know cut some corners and, and, and try to save because you'd already invested you know in the in the manufacturing as you mentioned. So with these budget restrictions and with you know knowing that the the money you could afford to spend was going to be spent elsewhere, what was the approach to marketing? Well, I was really lucky in those days where it was, I think it was like the golden era of Instagram, um, where you know just just having good content on Instagram, um, you know, and and just being super active and and commenting and following people and all that kind of stuff got you a, a pretty staunch, a pretty strong audience pretty quickly. And I was able to do that to get a, a really quick audience. Um, yeah, really, really good traction, at least in New Zealand, very quickly. Um, and, and that was that was just just thanks to the, the, the stage at which Instagram was at. You know, the organic reach was, was massive um, and all that kind of stuff. So we didn't really have to spend a cent and we, we managed to get a lot of traction pretty quickly. Um, we gave away a few caps to, you know, influencers and all that kind of stuff. Um, not a hell of a lot because we didn't really have the the means to to give away a lot, um, and that was I think that was reasonably effective. It's always a bit hard to measure, as as anyone will tell you, unless you're using discount codes and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, there's there are ways to measure it, but yeah, there's there's not much of an incentive to get a you know ten percent off on a on a fifty dollar or you know sort of in the US dollars a thirty five dollar hat or whatever. So, anyways, yeah, we sort of toyed around a few things. There was no real paid marketing as far as I can remember in the early days, apart from maybe the odd boosted Facebook post or or whatever. It was all pretty organic, um, to be honest. And the whole um, method was uh, because using offcuts limited us in the amount of hats that we could produce and the amount of styles. Instead of trying to um, ignore that or, or sort of be like a normal retail store, we thought well, let's just embrace that and do these limited monthly drops, and we'll spend every day between the drop just uh, collecting email addresses, getting people to sign up to our members list, um, and then releasing these these um, drops to to the members first. And I think that sense of um, exclusivity really really helped us uh yeah i, I always used to say that that you know the, the old adage in marketing is that sex sells um uh, but i i think that sex maybe used to sell but now you know uh it, it's kind of lost its potency i reckon now fear of missing out is what is what sells if you tell someone oh you, okay. can't, you can't have this then they go well no hold on i want it now <laughs> i really want it so uh fomo is the new sex huh? yeah, exactly that's what i reckon <laughs> that's exactly what i reckon uh, so we, we actually have a, a story about Offcut on the on the Overload blog, which everybody listening should be sure to check out at Overload.com. And you talked about this golden era of Instagram in there as well. And if we're talking about 2015, 2016 as, as this golden era, then the, the suggestion there is that we are no longer in the golden era and that things that things have changed and that now there's maybe some strings attached. Talk, if you would, about you know how Instagram as a marketing channel has evolved and the, the advantages and the drawbacks that you've seen having been in there uh, pretty early. Yeah, I, I guess, I mean, I think there's still, you know, obviously there's a, there's a tremendous market, the, the you know, the, the audience size is bigger than it's ever been, you know, on, on Instagram. So obviously there's, there's still a huge, huge opportunity. I guess, I guess it was 
potentially a golden era for, for dirtbags like me who had no money um, in terms <laughs> of, um, you know, using the channel as much as possible um, through organic reach. We're, we're now, obviously, um, Facebook wants you to pay for, for, for any reach on, on Facebook and, and on Instagram, um, which, you know, is, is fine. I, I can understand. It is a shame um, for, for, for entrepreneurs. It has made it a bit more difficult. But I think also it's not it's not all bad. I think it's lifted the um, the, the quality of content that, that people have to um, put out there and and you know and although maybe we were in a golden era five years ago of um, of, of organic reach or, or whatever um, we're probably in a golden era now of you know every every man and his dog can can produce amazing content on on their on their own phone you know if they take the time to, yeah. to do it properly you know so um yeah the, the kind of the kind of barriers to entry for, for creating great content is is obviously just almost totally evaporated um which, sure. which is which is great so i think i think it's just brought everyone's game up in terms of um yeah obviously just the best content gets to the top um whereas maybe five years ago yeah our content was always good but it was possibly not as important as as um, just having a cool story and um you know having a few sort of staunch advocates who, who would um, you know pitch you in, in public and then you'd, you'd kind of get quite a good following which I, I think these days it's just a bit harder without having stacks of cash obviously if you got stacks of cash then everything's easy right it solves a lot of things <laughs> yeah, yeah it does yeah yeah all right we're gonna catch our breath for 30 seconds which means that you can skip ahead or if you're still here you can let me tell you real quick i promise super quick how much we'd appreciate it if you took a teeny tiny moment to rate and or review start yours on your podcast app the more ratings we have for start yours the more awesome guests we'll be able to have and the more awesome guests that we have on here the more chances we'll get to bring you inspiration and education from people at the front lines of launching a business so now later, whenever we'd be tickled to get a rating or a review or both. All right, 30 seconds is up, back to the show. The first batch of hats sold, as you said, and, and there was, I think, probably a sense that, okay, there's there's a proof of concept here. We can go from, from scrap heap to manufacturer to Instagram to customer, and that this is a cycle that, that works. Um, but then you ran into the problem of of figuring out how to replicate this because just given the business model, the, the, the quirky, you know, scrap heap business model that you'd, you'd cooked up, you're kind of handcuffed because you have to use whatever's on the floor. And so this, this introduced another problem where, where you could make a, a bunch of cool hats, but you couldn't make infinite cool hats of that design. And so you mentioned the word drop. Talk, if you would, about how you, you took this challenge of, of having, you know, restricted designs just because you, you had to, to play with what you had in your hands this restriction turned into a positive and, and how you generated hype around around these drops yeah 100 percent. i think i think every no matter what business you're in you know every limitation uh is is an opportunity to to just embrace it and, and um and go no, no well that's our point of difference you know i can't think of any other examples off the top of my head but as you say we were faced right from the start with this reality where you know our, our first hat that we released or one of the first ones was this awesome black um black cap with with white sort of flowers on it and it was super popular it was the one that everyone wanted and people were asking us to make it again but we couldn't because all that <laughs> all that scrap fabric from my dad's curtain warehouse had gone 
So instead of, um, you know, instead of trying to, to find more of that or whatever or, or losing our, our whole sort of purpose of being and, and going to dad and say, hey, can I just buy some of this new fabric off you, which obviously we would never do. Uh, we sort of said, well, you know, how do we just embrace that and, and, and go, well, that, that's our point of difference. And, um, and that's just by telling people once it's gone, it's gone. And, and you know, we'd, we'd put numbers on, on how many hats we're making. So at the start, we're saying, look, there's only less than 30 of these hats. Um, and, and, you know, and then that, that would go up to less than 100 or whatever. But people sort of, I guess, really, really like that. They like the idea that uh, if you buy a hat from Offcut, the chances of seeing someone else wearing the exact same hat on the street is virtually nil uh and, and and that's just a you know a point of difference like i was saying before of, of of having that kind of fomo factor um that people love it's cool that you turn this this negative into into a positive you know kind of gave you a way to, to gin up hype but an extension of this is that you know whatever hat you launch next might miss the mark with with some potential customers you know some might love it but um, some might not love it and that raises the the next challenge which was that you need to be able to to re-engage with people who who weren't you know, digging the the last release, and so this would put a lot of stress on your on your ability to to engage, whether it's with social or email or you know whatever channels you use with with this kind of like built in pressure that you need to that you need to keep people engaged because of the evolving designs. How did you how did you navigate that? Yeah, it's a very good question. Uh, I mean, yes, absolutely. There, there were some hats that. Um, that was supremely popular, uh, you know, and, and, and the funny thing is that you'd think after five years I'd be able to pick it. I, I still can't. I, I've, got, <laughs> I've got a pretty good idea, I think, now as to, you know, which fabrics are going to do reasonably well and, and, and those that, that won't, and, you know, and we'll, we'll just sort of not use those ones that won't because um, there's an abundance of them, so we have to be quite picky. Uh, but sometimes I, I still get it wrong where I think, oh yeah, that's that's a pretty cool hat. You know, I think it'll do okay, and it just disappears straight away. Whereas other ones where I think, oh, this is cool. This is the one that I want. You know, they, they don't they don't move as quickly. I think one way to kind of get through that and and something that i'd recommend to anyone listening is you know this in this day and age with 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 um, social media everyone is obviously hyper connected just like have an open communication with your audience with your with your customers um so we'd, we'd quite often say hey guys you know what kind of styles do you want to see and, and should we keep an eye out for um in the, in the scrap heaps this month or whatever and and people love that you know if people feel like they're having an active um role in the um, designs that your company are putting out, I mean, it's, yeah, co-designer. Yeah, that's how epic is that? You know, people absolutely love that, and you can do it totally openly. We do it on Facebook comments and all that kind of stuff. You know, not not try and be secretive or, or hide anything. We just just ask people, and, uh, and and people love being involved. Is that something that you do yourself, or is it something that you you outsource to to virtual assistants? I still do all the social media myself. Yeah, yeah. I think it's I think cool. it's a really important thing. I mean, I did try and outsource it for a bit last year. Um, and, and it's one of those things, you know, I just wasn't happy with what um, what the company was doing. Uh, they didn't really quite get the tone of voice that, that I had. Um, and, and, you know, for better or worse, Offcut is, is, is quite sort of tied to, to me as an individual, um, you know, at least, at least here in New Zealand. And, and so it, it is my baby. It's a very personal thing. And, and when someone else, you know, when you see these posts come up that you didn't write, um, yeah, I kind of pretty quickly sort of uh, took control back pretty quickly. Yeah. So there's an obvious, or maybe it's not obvious, but there is an, an environmental angle to, to Offcut. I mean, you're taking stuff that would otherwise end up in a landfill. And, and, and you know reusing it and you were you were definitely involved with with the environment for offcut we talked about journalism you were an environmental journalist and so it's not like you just woke up one day and, and all of a sudden realized that 
oh, something is weird with, with the climate. So you, you genuinely care, you know, full stop. That said, I think that there is a commercial appeal to sustainability that you've, that you've tapped into and that you're able to utilize. And I don't think that, that these things are contradictory. And I don't think it's like, it's cynical to say that, that sustainability can, can sell. Um, it's, I think it's awesome actually. And I'm curious if you could talk about how you've incorporated the cause into the business. And, and if you have any thoughts on how somebody listening might be able to do, to do that as well, whether it's climate, uh, or hunger or female empowerment or stray dogs, whatever. Yeah. This merger between, you know, social cause that can get people really excited and really cool products. Yeah. I think it's, um, I think it's super important that whatever you do, you have to, genuinely you know feel very passionate about i think i think where a lot of people go wrong is they go i want to start a business i want to make a a heap of cash Uh, i should probably do something that's you know gonna uh, you know make me appear nice you know i should probably do something for society or whatever that's gonna you know sell a few more t-shirts or whatever or seem quite nice uh as as an afterthought and and i think that's where possibly a lot of people go wrong and there's a lot of greenwashing out there um and and you know and it's actually you know it's a very uh real sort of valid question that you need to ask yourself and it's something that i ask myself a lot it's like am i better off turning these scrap fabrics destined for landfill into hats and then still fundamentally there's obviously a carbon cost with manufacturing and there's there's shipping cost and uh you know sure. and all that kind of stuff am i better off doing that and then still making a product for someone to buy or am i better off just not doing anything like do people need more more caps and uh a couple of years ago we were taken in by the company Allbirds. another new zealand outfit right yeah yeah so co-founded by by a kiwi guy tim brown who i'd met a few years ago and i was a journalist super nice guy told him all about offcut and he's like mate come come spend a week in um, san francisco at Allbirds uh, and see how we do things over there and we had this chat with their head of sustainability there um, a couple of times and, and she was like you know it's a difficult one because you go you've got some some clients some customers of theirs who'll be buying like 10, 10 pairs of sneakers and she's like yeah it's great but then you kind of think with sustainability like obviously there's a big conflict there like no one really needs to be buying 10 pairs of sneakers and we've got super fans of Offcut who have bought maybe the top ones probably bought 25 hats over the years but then she said and I thought this was really good as well she goes look the reality is you're always going to have sneaky heads you're always going to have people who who love caps who are going to buy you know 50 of them regardless so if you can provide the best most sustainable option to them then that that is a win and i guess that's that's the kind of philosophy I've taken with it is go, look, Offcut is by no means perfect. We're still manufacturing things. Um, you know, caps actually have a, obviously a practical purpose of, of protecting your face from the sun, which is great. Um, obviously for, for 90% of people, they're, they're a fashion item. So it's debatable as to whether they're very like necessary. So whether producing them and shipping them around the world is, is a net benefit or a net cost to the environment, um, even though we're taking those scraps of fabric. But I guess that is a good way to look at it is to go, well, you know, if people are going to buy caps, we just want to provide the most sustainable uh, option available to them. Um, yeah, I don't know if that really answers your question, but uh, that's just kind of an internal um, <laughs> sort of debate that I've been, you know, that, that you kind of have to ask yourself. And I think yeah. I think to anyone who, who does want to start a business with a kind of social or environmental cause, it has to be authentic. Like uh, I, I started it genuinely because I saw this heap of fabric and I was like I don't want this fabric to go to landfill I think that's ridiculous and I think that authenticity um, is, is, is at the heart of the company um, and and people buy into that but they wouldn't buy into me saying 
you know, whatever, if it wasn't um, sort of authentic and it was an afterthought. Yeah, that's something that we've we've heard. We, we've written about that on the Overload Block, about, you know, kind of this marriage between, you know, causes and, and business. And, and we got some really good, really good answers from from Harper Wild, which is a, they sell bras. They do a lot of stuff with, with female empowerment. And so, and yeah, there's, there's examples, you know, across the board. So it, it's, like I said, it's not, I don't view this at all as some sort of like cynical wink, wink, like, hey, we're going to talk about the environment and then make a bunch of products. I think that it's, this is, I mean, the way that you do it and the way that a, a lot of a lot of businesses do it, it's it's legit. It's not greenwashing. It's uh, it's you know, a, a net gain. So I think it's very very cool to to be able to to tie that stuff together. And conversely, I mean, I, I don't I don't think there's anything wrong. You know, there's nothing wrong with having a business just to make a good business. You know, like so right. if if you're not if you're not a social enterprise, I reckon you know don't don't pretend to be almost you know like mm-hmm. be, be authentic in, in that sense i don't think if you just make a good product i just i think um yeah one thing i feel strongly about is is don't sort of whatever it is you do if it's selling products don't make crap that is going to break or that people don't need i mean you don't have to be a, a, a social enterprise to go oh actually i'm just going to try and make the best product um, that's going to last the you know the most amount of time possible and uh and in that way if people want to buy this product then they're buying something that that is high quality and that isn't going to break and that is that is a big win i guess for for the environment as well you know but you don't have to sure. not everyone has to be a, a social or, or a environmental kind of first um, organization and that's that's totally fine as well Offcut isn't the only thing that you're into you have a design studio job and then you also have a a business that films wedding and i'm curious what it is about this way of living that that appeals to you where you're kind of doing a lot of different things i don't know if you call it side hustles or, or scrappy or whatever whatever the the noun is what is it about that that that's cooler than because you know you're a sharp guy you could have a you could have a normal job i reckon uh you know just doing something real real uh by the book standard comfy you you seem to have kind of turned your back on that what what is it about this that appeals to you oh i guess it's it's like i i assume it's what sort of every entrepreneur loves is, is a couple of things for me it's it's the I would say freedom, but I don't even know if that's the first thing. I think it's just the sense of satisfaction you get from of, of building something from the ground up, you know, of just, yeah, just this, the satisfaction of, of starting something from absolutely nothing. I love that. I absolutely love that. I find it super exciting, um, you know, getting up in the morning and going, well, whatever I create today is totally up to me. It's not, it's, there's, I'm not uh, accountable to anyone else. Um, no one's going to care if I am super successful or if I completely fail. Um, this year, like I'm only accountable to myself, and and for me, I'm I'm a pretty independent person. That I love that. I love that sense of um, of of being able to create something from nothing, um, and and it and it affords you a tremendous amount of um, flexibility um, and freedom, which I which I love. Um, obviously, the downside of that is is there's absolute highs and lows, and um, you know, uh-huh. in the early early years of, of any new venture that I've been involved with, involved with, anyways, is probably more more lows than than highs. But eventually, there are you know as many highs as there are lows, and then and then eventually, eventually, there's there are more highs than there are lows. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a sort of bit of a roller coaster of a ride, but I but I love it, and I think I've got um, 
uh, kind of a lot of varied interests and I have done desk jobs before and just always found that I, I sort of eventually get a bit bored. Um, so yeah. it's, it's just not really, not really for me having the, the, the flexibility of being able to work on my own terms is, is definitely the way I like to do it. And like a small example of that is, you know, I live by the beach here and you know, not today, at mom and dad's anymore. No, not at mom and dad's anymore. No, I graduated <laughs> out. Yeah. No, it's, uh, had to sell a few caps to get there, but, um, managed to get there. But, uh, you know, my, my day does not work like a nine to five, um, office uh-huh. job. I'll do a few hours from nine to whenever I feel like it. Um, then I'll shoot off uh, some rock climbing or surf if the weather's good or, you know, and swell's good, whatever, whatever. And then, and then I'll often work till midnight, one o'clock and, and that, that works for me. Um, so I think it's definitely a lifestyle that suits certain personality traits. Others prefer the, the kind of structure and the, the, uh, safety of, of having a, a set income, but, um, yeah, it's just not, not my jam. All right. Adrian, we can leave it there. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. And again, for anybody uh, who wants to check out Offcut, you can find them online at offcut.co. And then of course, they're on all the social channels that you'd expect. Uh, so yeah, once again, Adrian, thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me, David. David here again. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Start Yours. If you are looking for more, you can find them anywhere that you listen to podcasts. So be sure to check out the entire catalog. Uh, There's also a lot more goodies from Oberlo over at oberlo.com. You can find blog posts, eBooks, videos, also a podcast library for what it's worth and all sorts of fun stuff about e-commerce, dropshipping, entrepreneurship, etc etc if you want to shoot us a note at the podcast drop us a line at podcast at oberlo.com talk to you soon